I think it's over. It's changed. We, we are now in an inflationary environment. Get used to it, get ready for it, prepare for it, protect yourself against it. Hello there. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Casa, the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now, with the Bitcoin price high this year, I know some of you have been making some great gains. And with forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for your Bitcoin to be lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. You see, a Casa multi-sig wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. And you get to distribute these wallets into different locations, protecting you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, you can hit me up in my DMs or drop me an email. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, we have sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. And as you know, I'm a massive football fan. Now, sportsbet.io doesn't just cover football. They also cover tennis, motorsports, US sports, and they even have esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Okay, let's talk about Exodus Wallet, who I will be using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as many of you know, UX is super important to me. I'm always going on about it. So when Exodus reached out to me and said, Pete, we want to sponsor the show, I was like, okay, cool, but I've got to play with the app. And you know what? They crushed it. The experience is so good that I am happy to recommend it to my friends, my family, and of course you. Now, Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Anyway, hope you enjoy this one. If you want to join the discussion, you can hit me up on our Telegram group or you can drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Okay, on to the interview. Morning, Larry. Good morning, Peter. Very nice to be with you. Yeah, nice to nice to be with you. I was uh, a few days ago. I was with Marty Bent. Oh yes, good friend. Yeah, yeah, he told me about a report you'd written. Said I had had to read it, which I did. Yeah. And and then I reached out to Marty. I said, "You doing the interview?" He said, "Yes." I said, "Okay, well, I'll go after you." But I def- <laughs> I definitely want to talk to Larry. I've got a lot I want to talk to Larry. Well, I appreciate about. that. Thank you. So uh, you know my show. Um, I like I to sure do. Simple. I think you come with a lot of expertise and a lot of interesting things that people like to hear about. But do, should we just do a bit of a background? So the sure. I don't know how deep or how far back you want to go, but I grew up in the Midwest. Um, went to college and studied economics. Went to Wall Street for a couple of years. Saw what that was all about. Got an MBA um, and entered the investment business in the early '80s. And really. I've been an investor my entire career. That's what I focused on. I, it's, I think, my highest and best use is kind of figuring things out. I like to, I'm analytical. I like to study stuff. And, um, you know, it was a um, very interesting time. I mean, I, I started in the venture capital business in technology. I mean, the Apple II was out when I was in uh, college or just after college. And then in business school, the IBM PC came out. It was $5,000 and had 20 kilobits of you know, memory. And, Mitch Kapoor came to my business school class and showed us Lotus One, Two, Three, and I thought, wow, that would just totally change everything I've been doing for the last two years because I was doing it all by hand. 
Uh, so I was an investor in technology companies from the early 80s until really 2004, um, you know, with venture capital. And I saw disk drives and computers and graphic chips and you name it, semiconductors, the whole nine yards. And that was what I did. And then uh, in 93, I was very fortunate. A guy gave me a business card with an internet address on it. I said, what's that? Uh, and he said, this is my internet address. It's CompuServe. Uh, sent all the material there, and I went back to my office, got all my guys, I said, we, this internet thing could be big. we gotta, we got to figure out what this is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And so we just went and bought as many private internet companies as we could, and some were no good, but many of them were good, and it worked out great. Um, you know, and, and, of course, by the end of it all, in 2000, my partner and I uh, were sitting there, and we were looking at the market, and we thought this was the most insane bubble we've ever seen. We were selling everything we could. We knew the internet was real, but a lot of these companies weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, we said, are we the only two guys in the world left who um, believe that a company is worth its discounted future cash flows? And by the way, this reminds me a lot of the market today. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, we, we kind of decided to retire um, for a variety of reasons. We had a fundraised, a $400 million fund. We gave it back. And I retired. And so I started managing my own money, uh, moved from New York to the Boston area. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of cruising along, buying growth at reasonable price companies. And what happened is the GFC happened. And that was like a wake-up call for this guy. GFC? Uh, Global financial crisis. Okay. Right. So 2008, the housing bubble burst. And boy, did that shock me. And uh, at that point, you know, I thought, well, I'm in pretty good shape here. I'm coaching my kids' teams and um, got a nice, you know, lifestyle managing my own money. And then I realized I'm going to run out of money because there's going to be a ton of inflation given what the government decided to do. And so that caused me to pivot massively into things that I thought would protect me from inflation, which I still think is the problem of our era, becoming more of a problem as we speak. And so I started investing in gold and silver mining companies and gold and silver bullion, which I always always held. And that fits into another part of my life, which is, you know, my grandfather was a sound money guy, and I've always been a sound money guy. And he thought what Roosevelt did confiscating the gold was wrong. And, uh, and I agreed. And uh, he gave me a bunch of gold coins uh, when he passed. And so, you know, my belief in sound money is pretty strong, as I know you know, because you've read my material. So yeah, I have. <laughs> that's kind of the background. And, and as the time has gone by, I've watched with interest as every step has taken place. Um, you know, the Federal Reserve and so on and so forth. And we can go a lot of directions. So I'm Look to you for a little direction on where you want to go next. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Just yeah. just so you understand my background, uh, I I was financially illiterate until well, I still kind of am in some ways, but like until my thirties, I had no real pension, no real savings. It was only really when I discovered Bitcoin that I really started to think about money and the future and savings. I always felt like I would create a business that would give me a retirement. Right. I got divorced and lost that business, and I was. In a position where I was two weeks from losing my house, and oh my. Yeah, I know, but I started the podcast. I started to stack Bitcoin, so I leapfrogged from somebody who didn't understand any of this to having to think about savings and Bitcoin, and and got introduced to sound money and Austrian economics, which is wow. still relatively relatively new to me, but has kind of saved my retirement in some ways. Indeed, and and relit your career. I mean, you you leapfrogged to the to the right lily pad. <laughs> Love luck. I, yeah, I don't know how you found it, but boy, you get, you grabbed the right one because you're sitting on top of the most asymmetric trade in history. Yeah, but there was a lot of luck involved with that, Larry. I mean, I you know at the time I was, uh, you know, my company had collapsed. I worked in advertising, and uh-huh. I just didn't get to work for a year after my divorce. And how'd you hear about Bitcoin? I'm curious. Well, I heard about it in 2013 because uh, I yeah, used to take drugs and uh, there was a website called The Silk Road. Oh, yeah, and, I know it well. Uh, well, a friend came around my house and he was like, uh, no, he phoned me up and he said, 
yeah, there's this website you can buy drugs on <laughs> with Bitcoin. <laughs> I was like, what are you all about? So he came over and he showed me. I bought my first Bitcoin for 80 pounds. Nice. Yep. Uh, spent it straight away uh, on the Silk Road. And that's, that's all I did. I never actually looked at Bitcoin at the time. Interesting. I did some trading uh, yeah. and made and lost money. And, and Bitcoin hit like 1,200 back then and then crashed. And, right. um, and then I just ignored it. And what happened was my... It, was, you know, it would have been my mum's birthday yesterday. She died a few years ago from cancer. Sorry and No, it's, it's fine. But she, in some ways, restarted this because when she was suffering, we wanted to get a cannabis oil to treat her. Sure. And my dad was like, yeah, how do we do this? And I was like, remember I had that problem back in 2013 with drugs? Well, let me tell you about Bitcoin. So what happened was we bought, a, we bought some Bitcoin on Coinbase and uh, I saw this other thing, Ethereum. We you know, bought the treatment and... And because I was out of work and didn't know what to do, I was like, I had a little bit of money left over. I just bought some Bitcoin and a bunch of crypto stuff, which I've got rid sure. of now. And and then I ended up on a, it's a really long journey, but I ended up on a yoga retreat because I was suffering with chronic anxiety and panic attacks. And this guy called Rich Roll had a podcast and I just said to him, I like your life. How do you do this? And it's November the seventeenth, four years. I think it's forty years ago. I released my first show, and here we are now. And here you are. Yeah, it's there's a lot of one, one of the biggest podcasts, if not the biggest, out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hard work and luck. I just think it's hard it's, work and luck. It's great. Yeah. Well, you landed on a good lily pad. Well, I, I did. I feel very fortunate, and and, um, and it's, it's, I feel the great thing is I I don't have to listen to podcasts. I get to have the conversations direct <laughs> and ask the questions I want. I get to speak to you know, yeah. people like you and make these incredible reports and. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lot to unpack. Let's go. I, th- I think the history is an interesting part, covering the history of what's happened uh, specifically in the U.S. Because you're, a, you know, you're a anti-federalist. Yeah, uh, yeah, very uh, much so. I mean, it's yeah. So let's talk about sound money and how yeah. how we've devolved and where it all goes. So just just the basic premise: um, sound money, in my opinion, is a moral issue, and the reason is that. Um, and this has been known for some time. I mean, they, you know, they said it in the Bible, honest weights and measures. You know, and, and you know, lots of people have tried to fool with money over time, and there have been hundreds of hyperinflations as a result of printing money and, and unsound money. And, uh, you know, I mean, as an example, the, the founding fathers of the U.S. knew about um, the risks of unsound money because they had the collapse of the Continental. During the Revolution, they tried to fund the Revolutionary War with the Continental, and they printed too many, and it collapsed. And so... In 1789, when they wrote the Constitution, obviously they specified that only gold and silver could be sound money. That's in the Constitution. And yet, you know, kind of look around, uh, what's going on? <laughs> it's not exactly being applied, is it, right? Nope. And so, you know, from that period of time until 1913, when the Fed was uh, founded, um, or created, I should say, they, uh, they, the country actually did pretty well. Um, you know, we were on a gold and silver standard and um, kind of quasi both, and there were some issues back and forth about the weighting of the two. But the point is that in general, the money was sound. And so that things, things which cost a certain amount of money in 1800 cost the same amount in 1880. And there was a time when there was a small amount of inflation and there was a big presidential campaign that was run on, you know, what this country needs is a good 20 cent cigar because that's what it used to cost before the inflation. And, uh, you know, that during that period of time, the, um, the improvement in lifestyles and the personal, you know, the common man did incredibly well. There's never been in the history of humankind such a big period of overall wealth creation. You know, people, people crawled out of poverty, lifestyles, you know, or lifetimes, life, average lifespan increased, wealth increased, you know, just the standard of living, you know, in the beginning in... in the, you know, the, the poorest people in, you know, 1900 were living better than some of the richer people in 1789. 
And so, and that was all in an environment of sound money. And were there some panics and so forth? Yes. And those are what the Keynesians use as an excuse for unsound money. But they're, it's nonsense. It's just, it's, it's sophistry. So, you know, and then around 1913, obviously, a bunch of money interests got together and said, you know, if we could, um, and, and by the way, there were some battles back then, too. I mean, there were the Federalists, the Anti-Federalists. You know, Hamilton wanted a central bank. And Jackson threw out the second central bank. Um, you know, the, it, it's, it's been a contested issue for a long time. But in general, during that time period, we were on sound money. So the Fed comes along and gets created in Jekyll Island, the creature from Jekyll Island, fabulous book. Which Read I'm the sure, book. Sure you're familiar with. Yeah. Right? And, um, you know, they, they got control of the money. I mean, the powerful, rich people in this country got control of the money supply with the Fed by creating the Fed. And as a result, you know, and they said, well, it's, it's only going to be there to prevent panics. We're just going to discount bills as necessary at a high rate of interest, and then we'll unwind what we've done. Um, all those things are untrue. You know, it didn't take them but a few years, and they started financing World War I. And then they created a bubble in the 20s, an enormous bubble, obviously, which, you know, led to the Depression. When that burst, uh, you know, when the, the stock market bubble in the 20s burst, it led to the Depression. And, I mean, the pain was immense. And mm -hmm. And, you know, it's what Bernanke wrote his whole college thesis on, of course, his, you know, and his PhD thesis on. Of course, he got it wrong. But, um, you know, nobody believes that because he's an expert on the Great Depression. Right? Yeah. And, you know, and today he, he you know, well, whatever. So <laughs> Was that when the FDIC was established? Uh, the FDIC, I think, came later, as I understand it. Uh, well, that might have been part of the SEC and the securities laws. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know the history of the SEC or the FDIC that well. I think it might have been in the same time frame. I know the SEC um, and a lot, of the, a lot of the reforms that took place coming out of the Depression um, were, were good. I mean, Glass-Steagall. Um, separating bank, and we'll come to that in a minute. You know, that was a very important law. It, it said the banks shouldn't be gambling with shareholder money yep. if the banks are backed up by the Fed, right? Mnuchin wanted to get rid of it, didn't he? Oh, well, it was, it was long gone when Mnuchin was there. The people who got rid of it, um, Larry Summers, Robert Rubin, um, and that crew are the guys who got rid right, of okay. it. Right, yeah, okay. I, I, I seem to remember Mnuchin debating Elizabeth Warren on Glass-Steagall, but okay. I can't remember the that's details. That's very possible. My, yeah. my guess is Warren might have wanted to bring it back. I mean, there's not much of what she says that I agree with, but her point about the banks having an unfair business model, I do agree with. Yeah. Um, so having said that, the Fed rolled forward and, um, you know, they did a lot of things. I mean, they confiscated the gold in 1933. Then they repriced it right after that. So that was a 70% devaluation. And, and by the way, that, that sovereign debt crisis, which is really what that was coming out of the Depression, that's what we're going through again. And the reason why I think a lot of people today don't really understand the environment we're in and um, the investing climate we're in and what to do in this investment climate is that everyone who lived through the last one was dead. I mean, no, none of us were around in the 20s and 30s. So nope. you have to read the history books to kind of see what's happening. But this is, this is chapter and verse, the same kind of thing going on. So let's keep rolling forward. You know, the Fed goes on and, and um, you know, they helped, uh, they helped finance World War II. And we had a very compliant population who bought war bonds and you know, they got, they were repressed because inflation and interest rates were, interest rates were held low when inflation was high, so savers did poorly. And bondholders from, you know, 19, the mid-1940s into the 60s and 70s, and end of the 70s, you know, they lost money on a real basis because of all, you know, the inflation that was there. But, you know, we, there were a lot of good things going on in this country. We won the war, the other countries were destroyed. We had a huge industrial base. We built all these things for the war, and we just turned them into building cars. And, you know, it was, a great, it was a great time. And then technology got developed, and that brought a lot of deflationary stuff. So there's a lot of good that happened in there with a, with a real little interregnum in the 70s. Okay, so as we all know, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, you know the Vietnam War, uh, not such a good idea, obviously. 
you know, somebody had to pay for it. And, um, you know, Johnson's guns and butter. So he brings in all the, you know, the social programs, many of which are good um, to some degree. But um, in turn, you know, we also ran the war. We ran these huge deficits. Gold, you know, we were on a Bretton Woods system coming out of World War II. Obviously, they'd set the price of gold at the $35 and held it there. Um, but the world, people in the world could see that we were spending more than we were bringing in. And that was not sustainable. And the French, in particular, Jacques Roof and his, well, and, and Charles de Gaulle said, you know, these guys are, these guys are printing money. And we know it. And, you know, you say your dollar's as good as an ounce of gold. Well, thir at 35 bucks, we'll take the gold, please. And so we had 20,000 tons of gold, um, you know, post-World War II. We now have 8,300, allegedly. 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 Yeah, interesting right? this week. So <laughs> right? there was, uh, somebody was tweeting out the fact that they think there might not be anything in Fort Knox. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, I've said this in other tweets, or other podcasts. I mean, Ron Paul told me he doesn't think there's anything there. And I, and I feel the same way. I think, it's, I think it was too big a honeypot, and it's very likely that they raided it. I could wow. be wrong, but the, I mean, one tell on the subject is why hasn't it been audited since the 50s? Exactly. I mean, and you know, and you, if you ask, and people have asked, and they say it's too expensive. Oh, really? I mean, yeah, really? I mean, really? I mean, think of all the billions of dollars the government spends. I mean, you could estimate it pretty easily. Yeah. Just by right? taking a photograph. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, this is not this is not rocket science. So, so that's a bullshit answer. So, is it there or not? Who knows? And that'll lead into a lot of other things we're going to talk about regarding Bitcoin. Why Bitcoin might be a better choice, but. But the point is that the Fed continually loosened. And, and what they did was with every single financial crisis, you know, they, they, they provided accommodation. I mean, well, let's, let's, let's play through the 70s. Okay, so the 70s start to play out and, and we, go out, we break the gold standard in 71. That was an enormous event. And we, you know, we should talk about that didn't, more. Didn't the UK break before though? Yes. We the, did. The UK did. I don't know the exact year. I believe yeah. it was in the early 60s. Yeah, I think it was like a decade before. Yeah, I think it was in the early 60s. But um, we, we, you know, but the US was, the, the dollar was the leading currency at the time. And when we, you know, that was a big deal. And of course, Nixon said it was temporary. It wasn't, obviously. I mean, yep. 71 years, you know, 1971 to today. And so, you know, here we are, we've got the gold standard uh, falling down. And that led to massive inflation um, in the 70s. And as we all know, um, kind of consistently, I mean, the, you know, the price of oil and gold, oil went up 30% a year compound throughout the entire period. Gold went up 18% a year, the entire um, period compound. Actually, I switched, switched those around. Gold went up 30, I think oil went up 18. So there was an, a massive inflationary period. And there was a time at the late 70s, and I remember it quite well, when people were thinking, you know, the dollar's gonna fail. I mean, we're gonna have hyperinflation and the dollar's gonna fail. And, you know, Reagan won. Uh, Paul Volcker came in and he created a solution, which was to take interest rates at 20%, which nearly bankrupted my father's business. I remember it quite well, eating tuna fish sandwiches and being very scared that we weren't going to make it. And, um, you know, they, uh, uh, they did get inflation under control with 20% interest rates, but it was pretty brutal. A lot of businesses suffered, a lot of people suffered. But then they, you know, that and the combination of, of kicking off of the uh, technology stuff, um, started to create a long period of deflation from 1980 to present, really. And that was fabulous for, you know, financial assets and, and really good for the world. I mean, one of the things I find most interesting and amazing is the fact that, you know, if you think about how much more technology we have today than we had in 1980, look at what computers have done. Look at mm -hmm. how they've, you know, we should all be working, you know, 30-hour weeks and living lives of leisure if we'd been able to transfer that technology value to the greater populace. But what's happened is that because we've got a system that allows the people at the top to rake off the profits, i.e. because we've got a broken monetary system, 
you know, what it's done is all that excess value created by that productivity has flowed to the top. And so we've got billionaires and then the rest of the poor people in the world, you know, middle-class average people work twice as hard to keep their head above water. And that's, that's to me, you know, the, the fundamental theme that I'm working on. There's a moral basis to sound money. I mean, the Fed prints money, simply said. I mean, you can talk about how it flows. You can talk about the fact that it goes into bank reserves and they have to lend. I don't care. All those things are true, but the fact of the matter is M2 has gone up consistently. I've got a chart on our website that you can see that very clearly. And, and that, that rate of growth is growing, is getting higher and higher and higher. And we're now at the point where it's about to go straight up, in my opinion, right? Well, scary, I mean, scary times. Again, a lot, lot to unpack there. But just want to ask you quickly about deflation. Sure. Because I always saw the news reports, the reports of inflation to 1.5%, 2.5%, government target of 2%. And I grew up with the belief that inflation was a natural part of the economy, something that uh, was signifying growth. As right. somebody who doesn't really understand economics, you know, my dad would be watching the news and right. I'd see it in the background. And I was always kind of taught that deflation is really bad because if we have deflation, then people will stop spending money because they expect things right. to get to get cheaper in the future, yada yada. Yeah. A bit, a bit like the same reason you don't spend Bitcoin because you think it'll be worth more in the future. Right. Um, is that just government propaganda that I allows? Be, I them- believe it is. That's Keynesian propaganda. I mean, so I think that the authoritative book on this is "The Price of the Future," written by Jeff Booth. Jeff which Booth. I'm sure you've read. Yeah, you probably had guy. a podcast with. Yeah, him. I have. Great. So, guy. so we live in a deflationary world, and deflation's a good thing. We had deflation from 1789 to 1913. The average person, their wages didn't go up but what they could buy with their wages went up. And so deflation deflation represents efficiency. Deflation represents you can do more with less. And so sound money leads to a natural rate of deflation. And the whole notion that you need these animal spirits to grow, you know, that's what Keynes said, you need these animal spirits to grow demand and to grow an economy, that's a flawed notion. In a, in a, in a world with limited resources, you know, think about it, compound growth forever we're going to eat the world. The world's going to blow up. We can't have we can't have compound growth. We've got to align the monetary system with an economic system that makes sense. And the issue isn't about having growth. The issue is about having efficiency. How do you get more for less? That's what deflation is. Same amount of money gets you more goods and services. And so deflation is good. And I think our kids will know that. I think our grandkids I know that will know that. I think everybody will come to understand that. You know, I mean, what? I mean, what's good about inflation? Oh, gee, all the stuff I buy, it, it's going to cost more next year. What's good about that? There's nothing good about that. How about if I save this capital and don't buy things I don't need and don't chase stuff? You know, there'll be that money will get used into something that will make things more efficient, and things will be cheaper next year. I mean, the perfect example. Remember after 9/11 when George Bush got up there and said, Let's, "You know, everybody go buy an SUV." I mean, did that really make sense? Was that really the right piece of advice to give? I mean, how how about we become a nation of savers again, you know, and we and we're prudent, um, you know. It, I it, I know it sounds really radical, right? <laughs> well, people don't save. I mean, amongst my friends, I, I, well, why I should you? I mean, why should you? I mean, it's 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 you know, it's it's the evil line that Keynes used, which was you know, in the long run, we're all dead. It's kind of like, well, you know, okay, so let's like let's like party like animals and get you know, knock out blind drunk and pass out and not worry about the long term, or. You can say, no, I'm going to take care of my body and I'm going to eat sensibly and I'm going to sleep and I'm going to rest and I'm going to get stronger and I'm going to live a sensible life. I mean, there really are kind of just two views of the world, right? Mm-hmm. 
One view is, you know, party on, Garth, and the other view is, no, be smart about this. Let's let's try to be intelligent. Time preference that a lot of, you know, Saifedean introduced exactly. to everybody. Time exactly, preference. exactly. And, yeah, time preference and long time preference. I mean, you can tell who long time preference people are. They eat well, they work out, they sleep, they treat people well. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a much better moral code than... You know, the 1980s, you know, um, Gordon Gecko. you know, I'm going to get mine. Greed is good. Let's grow this thing. Let's run up the numbers. More is better than less. I mean, how much do you really need? Do you really need billions to live a, a decent life? And is, and is that the right measure of what a decent life is? I don't know. Well, I don't believe so. Right? You know, you have it in your Twitter, fix the money, fix the world. Fix the money, fix the world. Because yeah. uh, it seems to me that the moral decline in society is very much aligned to the money. Absolutely. They track. I mean, you look at Weimar Germany. I mean, that was an incredibly immoral period of time. And yeah, I mean, look, when people see other people lying and getting away with it and doing well as a result of it, you know, they say to themselves, well, you know, why shouldn't I do that too? You know, I'm, I'm the sucker here. You know, I'm playing by the rules and I'm the sucker, right? Well, I think I feel like the veil is being lifted finally. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think people have realized. Hold on, we're being lied to, and it's funny. You know, I think there's a lot of defense now out for the billionaires with what Yana, Janet Yellen came out recently saying, taxing unrealized gains, which logically doesn't make any sense. That's there's impossible. no logic. How are you going to do it? <laughs> well, and then my friend Vijay uh, Boyapati, I'm pretty sure he said like originally income tax was only meant to be for the rich and now of we have course. 40% income tax. If they're, going to if they're going to tax unrealized gains for the billionaires, they'll come for everyone. But it doesn't make any sense. It, it, I mean, look, this, the, state, the state lives to keep the state alive and to make the state bigger. And when you're in that game, you know, you're all about growth and control and, and so on and so forth. I mean, Think about what the American Revolution was about. It was like a 4% tax on tea. I mean, you know, four, if I paid 4% taxes on something today, I'd, I'd be very happy, right? I mean, it's, the state has really grown to be a leviathan. And, and some people worship it. Some people think that it is the solution to all of the problems. And yet I would argue that history, long spans of human history can show that people can self-organize. Mm -hmm. And they can do very well on their own. But not a lot of people. They're... they're those of us who believe that we're, we were a very small group, we are becoming a bigger group. I think Bitcoin is educating people. I think, and I think the failure of the money is going to be a real wake-up call for a lot of people. And I, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not with Jack. I mean, he, I think he, he heard my last podcast and he retweeted that he thinks we're going to see hyperinflation. I don't know. I mean, it's possible. Okay, it's it's definitely within the realm of outcomes, but. I don't think right away. I, I think more likely what we're going to see is we're going to see pretty high and persistent inflation. And I'm hoping that that's going to lead to some serious reform because I think that's what's needed. Well, there's two things to talk about there. Firstly, we'll talk about the inflation, then we'll talk about the reform because I, I think most interestingly, the reform is coming in the form of Bitcoin and everyone has oh, an opportunity right. to become part of it. Oh, that's right. And I like this idea of a uh, decentralized uh, uh, sound money. Which, Absolutely. Which anyone can opt into, which Absolutely. is great. Yeah, no, it's, and it's perfect game theory, right? The only the only defense about Bitcoin, you know, you got to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone gets the price they deserve. I mean, I... You know, um, I've been kind of progressively orange-pilled. I started a long time ago, but I was small in it. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, for a long time, I was afraid the thing would blow up. I thought, that's a computer, it can blow up, right? I've seen too many computer things blow up. We're all afraid of that. Yeah, right? And and so, you know, so I didn't get, but now, you know, we've got 12 years of data points and we've got a lot more systems around it and the core, cores guys have done a lot more stuff to protect it. 
And I'm kind of of the view that, well, that's, that odd, the odds of that happening have gone down substantially, right? That, well, let's talk, let's talk about the current inflation levels and what's happening. Sure. So I, um, I spoke with Lynn Alden a couple oh, of days yeah. ago, and she's I asked great. her, she's amazing, and yeah. she said, well, hyperinflation is month-on-month you know, month plus 50% inflation. And I would be very surprised to see that in the US, the UK. I would have thought the central banks would respond and put us through a painful period of uh, high interest rates to, to kind of curb that situation. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I have no experience in this. I've not lived through... I've, I feel like I've been lucky to live through a fairly stable you know, we all 40 have. years of life. We all have. We all have. I mean, I've had a very good life in a very good country and, and as broken as things are, it hasn't been bad. And, you know, this is the fourth turning, right? And I, you know, um, to, to Lynn's point and your point... The Fed's really trapped. I mean, if they try to really jack interest rates, it's not going to work. I mean, one, they're, they're, they're very far behind the curve, in my opinion. You know, they're going to taper fine. Um, you know, throughout the 70s, interest rates were going up and gold still kept going up. I mean, gold was the Bitcoin of its day back in the mm-hmm. 70s. There was no Bitcoin. But the point is that they, they really can't. I mean, they're kind of in the, you know, they've got a devil's choice of if they, if they try to save the money, they're going to croak the economy and the debt structure. It's all just going to collapse, and it's going to look like the 1930s. And if they don't do that, and they try to keep the system going, you know, and keep the keep the growth going, and just continue with what they've got, the inflation is just going to get away from them, and they're you know it's going to be runaway. I mean, Stan Fisher, who used to be the vice chairman of the Federal Reserve, wrote a number of good papers on this, where he said, you know, we're going to have to go direct, we're going to have to print more, we're going to have to do all kinds of unconventional financial repression policies. And the only issue that we face there is we need, they know they need inflation, okay? They definitely need inflation because with that at 130% of GDP, you can't, you can't grow out of that without, nope. you know. So, but they were able to do it in World War II. But this time, you know, they need inflation, but they don't need too much inflation. And as Stan Fisher said, once it gets started, it's pretty hard to stop. I mean, inflation is kind of a vicious circle. You know, some guy gets a, you know, some guy has to pay more for something. He says, I want more wages. You know, the company says, fine, I'll give you more wages, but I've got up my price and, and so on and so on, right? And particularly, we've, we're at this extreme where we have enormous negative interest rates. We have zero interest rate policy in many places. You know, we've, we've really run this deflationary, you know, thread about as far as you can run it. And so with all due respect to, you know, Lacey Hunt, Jeff Snyder, and other deflationists, you know, Rosie, um, I think it's over. I mean, I think, you know, Ronnie Stouffer really said it very well at a uh, conference out in uh, Beaver Creek, the gold conference. He said, uh, you know, it's a monetary tipping point. I mean, this is like, you know, the Archduke getting shot in Sarajevo. I mean, it's changed. We, we are now in an inflationary environment. Get used to it, get ready for it, prepare for it, protect yourself against it. Yeah. Um, it's, and again, very interesting you should say that because when I spoke with Lynn, she said, the next decade will be defined by inflation. I, is, I, I can't see any other way. Yeah. I mean, look at the numbers. Look at the evidence. I mean, and, you know, there are a lot of kinds of inflation too, Peter. I think it's important to understand. There's, there's you know, there's demand, you know, um, there's cost push, there's demand pull. Those are all the kind of traditional ways. There's another one that I've kind of invented a word for, you know, which is substitution inflation. And that goes to just the issue of people... Um, people suddenly realize that their currency is losing value. It's, it's Gresham's law, right? And they say, it, it's not about buying stuff or selling stuff. It's about what assets they're gonna hold in their savings in. Everybody has some savings. Everybody has some net worth. Not everybody, but most people have some net worth. Where are you gonna put it? Where, you know, you wanna protect it, right? You wanna have a sound retirement. You wanna save for a rainy day, whatever it might be. 
And, um, you know, in the, traditionally, bonds, stocks, those kinds of things have all been pretty good places to be, real estate, certainly. Um, you know, that can change. And when people realize, and bonds in particular, when people realize bonds are just a melting ice cube, the bond market's going to get hammered here. I mean, I have very little doubt about that. And the Fed's probably going to have to buy the whole thing. Right? Yeah, yield curve control, right? Yeah. 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 And, and once you see the Fed buying the whole thing, I mean, and again, it all goes back to, you know, I mean, remember, we, yeah, it's, well, it's a Ponzi. And also, the reason the dollar works is because, you know, we have a government, we trust our government, we won World War II, we got all the weapons, we've got these serious people at the Fed saying like they're watching it very carefully, et cetera, et cetera. But it's all a Potemkin village. It's all a facade. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, if you look at the facts behind that, it's empty. There, there, there's nothing supporting this dollar. And so this is the dollar is the emperor walking down the street naked, right? And Bitcoin and gold to a degree, you know, we're the guy, we're the little boy sitting there going, hey, that guy's got no clothes on. What's going on here? Well, you, know, you guys believe this shit, <laughs> right? The interesting thing is, I think you could walk down here, yeah, walk down Broadway, sure. and you could ask 100 people. And I only think a few people were really understand what's going on. Like my. My friends oh, don't stand. I, I tell you a funny story. So I use my Facebook right. with all my friends and family as just a testing ground for ideas, right. just to put things out there. And sure. I've been talking about Bitcoin and inflation. Sure. Um, I'm like a broken record with this. Right. I've had people unfollow me because they think I'm crazy. And I'm like, <laughs> no, this is happening. You know, I said inflation's coming. I'm, uh, you know, only sharing what other people are telling me. And uh, I was like, you know, UK had the biggest rise in inflation. Now we've got massive increase in uh, uh, energy costs. We've had record petrol fuel prices. We've got sure. uh, house prices leaping up. Richie Sunak just came out with a four percent prediction. Sure, the B of the Bank of England said five percent next year. It's probably much higher. And people just are not paying attention to this. They, right. I just think people don't really fully understand what's going on in the economy or how bad it can get. Well, yes. Definitely they don't understand how bad it can get. I think, you know, I use my gym as my data point because I get a broad cross-section of people who work out with me. Yep. And they all see the inflation. And But you're, you raise a very good point. They don't know what causes it. But let me give you a little anecdote that was fun. It was, it was a while back. But I don't know if you ever saw the video of Andrew Dice Clay. And he was out on a, on a corner in L.A., and he had a Hershey's candy bar, and he had a 10-ounce um, silver wafer, you know, or silver bar. And people were walking by, and he said, for free, for free, which, your choice. Which would you like, the Hershey bar or the 10 ounces of silver? I swear 85% of them took the Hershey bar. They, they had, I mean, the 10 ounces of silver at the time, silver was 10 bucks. It was 100 bucks. They didn't care. They wanted the Hershey bar. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, so, yes, I mean. Um, but but people are coming to see the inflation, and that's part of why you know I do what I do with respect to Twitter and other things. I think there are a lot of great people in this country, and a lot of people could get hurt. And um, I think the policies these people have set up are irresponsible. And I think people should try to protect themselves. And and so, but I but I think you know, and I see a lot of political chatter about all manner of things. And and I'm I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, all that stuff is really real. But let's get to the base of the problem. The base of the problem is unsound money. If we have sound money, a lot of these other problems would go away. Uh, they really would. And I don't think, I mean, I think Bitcoiners get that. Not even, not every Bitcoiner. Some Bitcoiners are just like, hey, price goes up. I like it. You know, give me yep. some of that. Price goes up. You know? And we'll go up, yeah. yeah. But I think, I think a lot of the Bitcoiners get it. Certainly if you've read Safe's book, you get it. Mm -hmm. That, you know, this is, sound money is, is a really important societal issue. And I want my kids and grandkids to live in a better country than we live in today. And I remember what it was like growing up. This was a great country. It still is a great country, but it's gone downhill since my youth. I know that. Well, 
There's no country I've traveled to more than the US. This is like my 70th, 75th time here. Okay. Every opportunity I get to come here, I come, and I've traveled to a wide range of places. I've, right. I think I've done like 19 of the states now. Awesome. I have a great time in left-leaning states. I have a great time in right-leaning states. Mm-hmm. I find the people are brilliant. I absolutely love America. I can go anywhere. I can go into a bar, and I'm pretty sure I can sit down with a Republican and a Democrat, and we can have a great conversation. I think the broken part of this country is the media and the politics. Yes. Uh, And I put a lot of it at Roger Ailes' door and Rupert Murdoch, because they created the division. And I also think social media is causing a problem. But I, I think it's a very small group of people who are causing the problem for everyone else. I completely it's still agree. a great I, I, I completely agree, and and that's why you know one of the things that gives me great hope is that we've got you know the and I'm, let's say it in a slightly different way the elites have crafted a narrative that really serves them right I mean they you know they really benefit from this system of I mean they're they're very very wealthy and, and you know I mean why wouldn't they like it Do you know what I mean it, it works for them they got a ton of money I mean I see you know Janet Yellen saying there's no inflation well. You know, she's got a $20 million net worth. She doesn't feel it, right? But how about how about the person who's working hard for every dollar and their cost of food just went up substantially? You know, it's so, but the problem is that person is so busy trying to put money, trying to, on the treadmill, trying to put money on the table that they don't have time to listen to podcasts from you and they don't necessarily, haven't been introduced to Bitcoin and, you know, they don't necessarily understand all these issues. And, and it's it's tragic. It's really sad that that message has not gotten out. And that's, that is, you know, you say, well, social media is part of the problem. Maybe, but it's also part of the solution. Oh, agreed, yeah. Right? No, I agreed. Mean, that's what, I mean, you know, we can use this for really, it's just a tool. We can use this for really good purposes, right? And and some of us, I believe, are, you know, yourself, Marty, you know, George Gammon. I mean, you name it. They're, you know, Luke. I mean, there are just a number of people out there who get it, who are trying hard to fix it. And and what I'm hoping and is that when the whole thing collapses, which I believe it will, I mean, I, I think the math is pretty unassailable, um, when I believe it, I believe it will that those of us who understand what went wrong, why it went wrong, will step into the breach and try and say, "Okay, guys, listen, the money failed." And, and you know, I mean, the, the, the fundamental issue is the money is bad. I mean, you can't believe any prices right now. The money is bad. Give you an anecdote on believing yeah. prices. <clears throat> I was in Texas uh, for a week, and I was uh, one of my friends there uh, was explaining to me they've got a local taco shop, and he showed me this photo. Sure. Uh, it's behind the counter. They have all the the menu and the mm-hmm. prices next to it. Mm-hmm. He said they've taken the prices off now. Yeah, what? because they can't guarantee <laughs> the prices of things because of the changing costs of the 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 oh pro- produce they need. It's so inconsistent. So they're now pricing it that rather than changing the price all the time, there's just no price, and you go and order, and they give you a price. And and wow. yeah, and and second <laughs> and and a second. Uh, person works for a company which does POS software uh-huh. and what they're now having to do, they're having to update the POS software sure. to now have prices update based on the price of the produce coming in because produce changes. So when, when he explains this to me, I was like, huh, that, rem- that makes me think of two things. It makes me think of when I, I took a visit to Venezuela a couple of years ago. Sure. Uh, wonderful people again yeah. under a horrible authoritarian regime which has mm-hmm. pillaged the, the country. And there was a store I went into, and the prices were stickers. So they just replaced the prices. Right. So it made sense. me think of that. But it also made me think is, I've read When Money Dies about yes. the Weimar well, Republic. Yeah, that's where I was going to go. Great book. But, <laughs> but, but really, it's a story of anecdotes. It's a book of anecdotes. Yes. A, a, a chain of anecdotes yes. to take you through a period of time of yes. all the different things that were happening. I was like, that's a signal. Yeah, that's a signal. Exactly. Going to Starbucks, we don't have any sandwiches. 
that's a signal. Yes. My friend who can't get a shipping container, that's a signal. All yeah. it is, we are we have all these signals now for what is going to be the book of the, potentially this decade. No doubt. I mean, another very good signal. I'm sure you've seen it. Have you seen how these auto dealers who were having a hard time getting cars, manufacturers suggested retail price, 50000 delivery charge, 30000 Yep. And we call it price gouging, call it whatever you want. I mean, they're being capitalistic. They don't have things to sell, so they... And they're just trying to balance supply and demand. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty basic stuff, right? You take away the supply, you re- leave the demand the same, the price got to go up. And, of course, that flows through to everything else, right? So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nasty, vicious circle. And it's been created because the Fed just kept putting coins in the fuse box, right? Rather than allow us to take a recession, allow interest rates to rise like they naturally would, allow the system to function the way it was designed to function, they've done everything the opposite to continue to keep it growing, keep the money flowing, keep the Wall Street bubble going, you know, enrich themselves, you know, enrich the billionaires, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, 2008 was the classic example of that and makes me, you know, just furious what happened, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, they, they, they blew an enormous, I mean, then The Big Short does a great job of documenting it. It's mm. a movie, they, they blew an enormous bubble, fine, and when the time came to pay the piper, you know, okay, we, we hit the end point and we got to pay for it, you know, the government, I mean, they went to the government and the government said, oh, no, don't worry about it, we'll bail you out. And a year later, they were all paying record bonuses. So it was incredibly unfair because it was, you know, socialism for the rich and connected and the bankers and the people who blew the bubble. And it was raw, rugged capitalism for the poor homeowners who had to, you know, basically lose their house if they weren't able to make their mortgage payments, you know, as a result of the downturn and the loss in employment. You know, in my in my quarterly report, in my speech that I just gave at the New Orleans Gold Show, I'm going to have a great photo of a, a um, spray painted on a on the wall of a, um, a house in California that said, you know, three tours in Iraq, foreclosed, three tours in Iraq and no bailout for people like me. And that, you know, that... They've broke the social contract. They really have. Nobody they, went to jail. Well, one yeah. guy. One guy yeah, went to yeah, jail. No, nobody went to jail. And and they all, you know, and I mean, Dick Foles worth $650 million. I mean, it's the, the social contract has been broken. And so these these people gained hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, but they lost their soul and their credibility in the process, and they helped to ruin the country. Well, know? so I'm glad you brought up The Big Short. Because I think that's a film that's able to contextualize what actually happened to people yes. who aren't economists or people who don't have time. Right. But the, the thing about that film that really got me, I thought was so powerful, is just, I think I've talked about this on the show before, just at the very end where the family pack up yeah. and they get in their car yeah. and essentially they've lost their home. And that, yeah. was, that was like, that was the reality of what yeah. happened. I mean, I don't can't remember the numbers. Was it like a million people lost their home? Two oh, million people? Many, many, many. Yeah, I mean now Black BlackRock owns them. Yeah, right. <laughs> BlackRock owns them, and you know, and Munch, you know, Steve Mnuchin, you know, the, um, he foreclosed on them with his Indy Mac, and I mean, Indy Mac. I mean, that's another crony capitalist deal. He had full backing of the government, you know, in order to you One know, West, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I think it was Indy, Indy West. Or did Indy, he rebrand Indy. it as One West? Oh, maybe. Yeah. maybe he did. I, I was, I'm not aware of that, but anyway. Yeah. The, Long story short, I mean, he had a he had a one way ticket. I mean, if the government backed him, if it had failed, he'd have been guaranteed. Yep. And you know, he had a call option on relighting all those houses, and he he, he possessed. You know, he he foreclosed on them and and made a trillion dollars. I mean, or billions of dollars. And so, yeah, that that kind of thing is you know that's why people in this country are angry, and rightly so, absolutely rightly so, and why you know we absolutely have to 
go back to sound money, and, and I believe we will go back to sound money. I mean, you know, people on the left are angry, people on the right are angry. I mean, to some degree, I'm, I'm sympathetic to both sides, if mm. they're, you know, because things are broken. They really are broken. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, a lot of people are going to lose. Let, let me ask you something. With regards to, you said that they really needed to allow the economy to go through a period of pain and, mm-hmm. you know, default and recover, mm-hmm. a bit like the Ray Dalio video, the, right. how the economic machine works. I've asked this a number of times to, to various people, but I wonder if the problem with that is the election cycle, because mm. for any president to allow that to happen, they they have to be the president that potentially takes the country into recession, and mm. their legacy is that. And so does the election cycle really just create a, that yeah. someone has to kick the can down the road? I, th- I think that's right, but it's not just you know a couple things there. Um, how you know how powerful is the president? Is the president really running the show? Well, let's, let's say the party. Yeah. Okay. Broader, possibly. I mean, certainly that's a possible. But but again, you know, the Federal Reserve is really not even. I mean, they're linked to the government, but they're not a part of the government. It's a private organization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there's, you know, the government even unto itself is. Um, it's not. It's everything's not as it appears. Right. I mean, there are other people pulling strings, in my opinion, you know, uh, of the government. And so, but yes, your point's a good one. I mean, there's no doubt that nobody wants to be in charge when the whole thing collapses and everybody does hope to kick the can. I mean, I'm sure these Fed people, you know, when they get out of there, they're happy. I mean, I, you know, I got to believe. Haven't too quit recently. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Too quit recently. And I I mean, my gut is that Kaplan's sitting there thinking, thank God, you know, I I don't want to be around when the shit hits the fan, you know, and, and of course, um, you know, they're going to replace, the two that quit were kind of on the hawkish side. They'll probably get replaced with doves. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, I mean, Jay Powell, I, the, you know, um, Daniel Martino, Martino Booth says that there's a Game of Thrones going on inside and, and Jay Powell wants to maintain his position. I think he's nuts. If I were him, I would want to be out of there so damn fast. Because, you know, there's a mathematical piece to this. And, and so, you know, it, it's, it's the second derivative, right? And things are happening quickly now. They're happening more quickly. You know, we, we printed $3 trillion from, you know, 2008 to 2011, you know, so it's three years. This time around, we printed, you know, $3 trillion or more, you know, almost more than that between, you know, in, in four months, right? And when the next crisis comes, we're going to have to print $10 trillion. And each one of these rolling crises will make it more obvious to more people that this money is no good and I have got to get out. And, and, and at the end, I mean, it's, it's Hemingway, when, you know, you, you go bankrupt slowly and then suddenly. At the end, it's going to be suddenly. It really is going to be suddenly. And this is the substitution thing I was talking about earlier. When people decide that their money is melting, that it's a melting ice cube, they're going to buy Bitcoin and gold and silver. They just are. Or, or they're going to buy real estate. And we're already seeing that, right? The housing prices are going up. That's hard a great, assets. It's, yeah, it's a great trade. It's a hard asset. You can borrow money at 30 years at 3%. Yep, I'll do that. Sure. You know, a house is a house. I can live in it. So um, people aren't stupid with respect to what's going on with the money, but... You know, but not everybody understands how deep it is and how we've got to get back to sound money to have things be repaired. And it's going to be a tough transition for sure, but it, it'll be much better on the other side. Well, wouldn't it be great if we taught financial literacy and, <laughs> and sound money in school? I mean, I, well, did, I did two years of economics, but that was optional. That was my A-levels. Right. That was my senior years. Yeah. And we were taught Keynesian economics. Of course you were. Yeah, of course you were. And, and you know, Keynes is wrong. I mean, Keynes is just wrong. I mean, I, that's a whole another line of thought. We could get into my feelings about Keynes. They're not very positive. 
Um, and is it the same for Paul Krugman? Yeah, right. Or for yeah, same with Paul Krugman. But 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 that's you know if, if you were an I mean I subscribe to the Austrian School of Economics, which mm -hmm. is much more uh, in my opinion realistic and predictive of what has happened and how the world works. And as a result of that, um, you know the, the, the Austrians have been ignored. They've been completely ignored and shut out of academia. And academia gets money from the government. I mean, you know, there's. You have to remember that you know when 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 a government gets set up the way it is, and the people benefit from being a part of the government and sucking up to the tit of the government, they are going to do everything they can to suppress narratives and people who call the emperor naked. And the Austrians, for quite some time now, have said, "Hey, this emperor is naked. You know, you're you're printing money, and that's that's theft." I mean, back to the moral issue of all this. I mean, we would all agree. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't come in here and steal your watch or steal your wallet. That would be theft. That would be mm -hmm. immoral. Well, that's what the Federal Reserve does. You know, they, all of us who earn money, we have dollars. They, we exchange our labor for dollars. We put it in our pocket. We call it savings. But every year, the Fed dilutes that because they print more dollars that they can print with just a stroke of a key. And as a result, your savings are worth less. So, you know, Peter, somebody just took, I mean, and, and by the way, the CPI numbers are completely misstated. I mean, Shadow government stats and Chapman of you know Chapwood have have shown that. I mean, CPI is probably running 10, 15 percent right now. Certainly, when you get the housing component in there, it'll adjust up to that. So, the, you know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, every year, how do you feel about every year the government taking 10 percent of your savings? And I mean, I, I know how I feel about it. I don't like it, mm -hmm. and the average person shouldn't like it either. And there's a way to fight it, and it, it's simple: buy gold, buy silver, buy Bitcoin. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my amazing show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying. I've still not sold a single sat with Gemini because I'm a hodler and we are in a bull market. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And next up, we have the amazing Compass Mining, and they're not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass, and I am back mining. It is so good to be back mining, and I really, really like these guys. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was really easy to get onboarded, and now anyone can mine Bitcoin with Compass. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they will do all the work for you. Now, if you are interested in getting into mining or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. And also, let's talk about BlockFi, who recently launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa signature card. And now you can get up to $250 in Bitcoin when you join. For people in the US who are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more stats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit cards provides the easiest way because you get 1.5% in Bitcoin back on every card purchase and there is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack stats as you get Bitcoin back on every purchase. But not only that. You get 2% back in Bitcoin on every purchase over $50,000 of annual spend. If you're interested in finding out more, please head over to BlockFi.com forward slash Peter, which is where you can claim your $250 back. That is BlockFi.com forward slash Peter. B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com forward slash P-E-T-E-R. 
Next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, and I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, and I'm still using that same Nano S I bought back then. Now, Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can now connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Well, let's, let's talk about sound money then. So yeah. what are the myths of sound money? Because there are some people who are very critical of Austrian economists Austrian. and yeah. you think they're crackpot libertarians. Yeah. But, but, yeah. You know, what, what do people get wrong about sound money? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, the, I, I think they think it's old-fashioned. Well, well, one of the first ones, one of the ones they start with is to say the, the gold standard caused the depression. Okay, that's that's the first and biggest lie they tell. Okay. Um, and Bernanke wrote his entire thesis on that, his PhD thesis on how the depression was caused and the fact that we were on sound money. It was a gold standard. And by the way, we weren't on sound money because Roosevelt devalued it at 70%. So we had a mini hyperinflation during the depression. But the fact of the matter is the depression was caused, or the, the depression was just an equal and opposite reaction to the bubble that was blown in front of it. The Fed was very lax post-World War I. And as a result, they, they, they let a lot of money into the system. They, they, they held interest rates down well below where they should have been. And so we blew an enormous bubble, credit bubble. And as a result of that credit growth and stock market bubble, when it collapsed, it was enormously deflationary. That's the issue. Not, you know, what happened there is not something to do with sound money. Um, and in fact, the fact that we were on a gold standard, you know, after we revalued, and the fact that we were on a gold standard was actually a net positive. So one of the things they get wrong is to say the gold standard was responsible for the depression. It was not. It was completely not. If you, anyone who studies it, you know, intellectually and is intellectually honest about it, would come to that conclusion. Now, Bernanke was not intellectually honest because, you know, he he obviously foresaw a a future in the Federal Reserve system and in the in the government and in the system that we now have. And so he had to support everything the Fed did. And in fact, he said, you know, they shouldn't. They didn't do enough. They should have done more. I mean. He has that famous 1982 speech where he says, which, by the way, I think was an incredibly irresponsible thing to do, where he said, look, we can never have deflation. He looked at the Depression. He said, look, there was massive deflation. It caused massive pain. Rather than diagnosing that and saying, yes, and that's because the Fed was lax and let the bubble get blown, he said, no, that's because the Fed didn't print enough to prevent the deflation. Well, by the way, they printed a ton. But set that aside for a moment. That was the wrong conclusion, Okay. And so what he said is, you know, look, we don't have to worry about inflation. It's 1982 speech. It was famous. It'll be in the history books. I mean, he's kind of the John Law of our time. Well, pre-Stephanie Kelton. But, but, uh, but he, you know, it in the, it'll be in the history books where he said, look, we have a technology called a printing press that ensures that we can create dollars at zero cost. And as a result of that, we will never suffer deflation again in this country. And so, what, you know, right there, that was the major coin being put in the fuse box. Okay, we're not going to let any serious monetary corrections take place. That's what he said. And as a result of that, we've just had this continuing wave of, you know, greater and greater inflations. And each one has to be bigger than the last. I mean, a good analogy in my, term, in my view in terms of looking at this monetary stuff is think of it as like a heroin addict, right? You just, you just have to keep taking more. Keep taking more. You got to take more to get the high. And otherwise you crash. Otherwise you crash. And it just, you know, I think the analogy is pretty good, right? I've... Uh, as a previous previous addict who's been through recovery, it's a perfect analogy. Right, and 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 by the way, I mean, 
you know, I've, I've heard stories from people who've been through this whole thing that, the, you know, look, the crash is almost as bad as dying. I mean, the crash is pretty damn bad coming out of this stuff. So, But after the crash, you feel good. Yes, there is a recovery. If you don't die, you, there is a recovery. And, and by the way, if you don't crash and you keep doing, eventually one of those times you're going to hit an OD and then mm-hmm. you do die. Yep. So, you know, it, it, and, and I, you know, Sadly, uh, but but looking at time and slopes and math and everything that's going on, I kind of feel like we're getting pretty close to an OD moment here. You yeah. know, I mean, they, how are they going to bring it back? I don't know. So it's quite interesting that you're previously a gold bug and a silver guy, and yeah. you now got into Bitcoin. Not every gold bug has no. managed to get it. There's one quite well known. Yeah, we all know him. Yeah. We all know him, <laughs> Mr. Peter Schiff. He 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 just can't get it, and it's I, too bad. I think I think that's more about ego than anything. Possibly. I mean, some say it's actually his marketing pitch. You know, <laughs> maybe it's not. I don't think it's a great one. But but by the by, for some gold bugs, it's been hard to get across. It you has. did. What was your Bitcoin well, introduction? Imagine being frustrated. You know, imagine having all the stuff right. I mean, I said it in my speech in New Orleans. Imagine having this whole thing right. I mean, you just got it figured out, and then this other thing comes along and supplants your asset. You know, it's. I, I mean, I get it. I completely get it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just different because I was in the venture capital business. And um, and I and so and I'm a big believer in the future, and I'm a big believer in technology, and I'm a big believer in things getting better as a result of technology. Um, and so you know, look, I had some of the initial skepticism that everybody has, and I think I think everybody who comes to accept Bitcoin as being important goes through a bunch of phases, yep. right? You know, oh, that's ridiculous. Yep. To oh my God, how could I have anything else? I got to have 100 percent this, yeah. right? <laughs> and, I, and I would never get there, but I. And, and, you know, the, the layers, you, you peel the layers back, right? And so I, you know, the history of it all is I, I tried to buy some back when you were you know, buying at 80 pounds. I, I, it was hard to buy it then. You had to meet somebody in a cafe and get a code, you know, and it wasn't very available. I bought my first ones off of the, the Coinbase, uh, off the Mt. Gox blow up. In fact, I was trying to get an account at Mt. Gox. Fortunately, I didn't because I know people who did and they lost all their money. Uh. Um, so, but I was fortunate, like right after the Mt. Gox blow up, you know, it, it traded up a bit. I, it was about a, it hit a thousand at one point, and, and I said, "Okay, I'll wait for a correction." Sure enough, it corrected down to three or four hundred, and I started buying. And I've kind of bought since then consistently, and but always with a, you know, gosh, is this really going to work? You know, is this technology sound? Um, can you know, are people going to really adopt it? I mean, yeah, I get it, and it's, it's a libertarian dream, but you know, maybe it's, maybe it's going to blow up. You know? I think we all feel like that. <laughs> yeah. tell, tell me, you were down at this gold event in yeah, New Orleans. Sure. How much talk of Bitcoin was there? Well, so this is pretty interesting, right? I think you'll enjoy this. Um, there are probably 300 people there and a lot more online. A lot of people don't go to conferences anymore. Um, and one of the speakers asked the question, said, uh, okay, folks, how many of you here own Bitcoin? Half the hands went up. Wow. Right? So there are a lot of people who are in my camp, right? They, you know, they came from the gold world. I mean, look, Pre-2008, we didn't have Bitcoin, right? You believed in sound money, you know, you had a couple of choices, gold, silver, gold, silver stocks, period. That was about it, real estate. Um, You know, Bitcoin got invented, a lot of growing pains, you know, obviously it's become much more mainstream now. And a lot of gold people are like, yeah, I get it. And some, I mean, I have one friend who said, you know, look, Larry, he was 100% gold. I mean, all gold, all, and he's he's now 100% Bitcoin, has no gold, sold it all. Wow. Yeah, right? And, And, you know, he said to me, he said, Larry, you know, the reason gold isn't working, the reason you feel like Sisyphus is that, you know, the central banks have figured out how to control it. They've got the price suppressed. You know, they've created so much paper gold that the price hasn't gone up the way it should be. You know, we've got these really brilliant guys over here with this technology, which serves the same purpose as gold. You know, they're like the rebels with the torches and the pitchforks. They're, you know, they're storming the citadel of the central banks and they're going to take over. And, you know, I want them to win and they're going to win. 
And to be honest with you, I think he's right um, to a degree, but that doesn't make gold irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make gold, you know, I think some of the Bitcoiners are like, like, well, you know, gold is a, a buggy whip and, you know, um, you know, why would you, why would you ride a horse when you, you know, you could be in a car and my view is that they both beat walking, but you know, they, they each, they're different, they're different assets, right? I mean, gold, um, you know, gold is obviously less volatile. Um, gold doesn't have 80% drawdowns, it, you know, big drawdown on gold would be 20%. Um, gold is more private. Uh, you know, if you have gold coins and high, nobody knows you have them. The blockchain mm -hmm. is there for everyone to see. Now they don't, it's, you know, pseudonymous, so you don't necessarily know whose address is whose, but that could change. The government could come after that and we'll all face some interesting decisions. But, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, there, there's, in my opinion, as a professional money manager, as a manager of risk and investment person, there's a place in a portfolio for both. And it depends on what your risk profile looks like. And if you want to be super conservative, you have much more gold than you have Bitcoin. If you want to be super aggressive, you go a hot, much heavier in Bitcoin than gold. But I, I actually think everybody, even Bitcoiners, should own both. I mean, I made this point in another co podcast where, you know, I bought Bitcoin. I, I bought gold. I bought Bitcoin at seventeen thousand, right? And then go. Then it fell to ten thousand. It fell to thirty five hundred. Um, if I had been one hundred percent Bitcoin at seventeen thousand, and that had happened, where would I have had the cash to buy the balance, right? And I mean, I sold gold. To buy Bitcoin at ten, I sold gold right. to buy Bitcoin at thirty five hundred. I mean, there's a you know there's some balancing that can go on here, right? And there's there's a point. They're, they're both sound money assets. We cannot deny that. One's five thousand years old. One's you know twelve years old, but thirteen years old. But you know they, there's a you know there's some balancing and allocation that you can do that I think is sensible, right? Well, it's funny because I've a couple of times this year I've nearly bought some gold. A yeah. couple of times I've yeah you know, I've had some you know spare cash. I've thought, shall I buy some gold? And then I've gone try to go through the process of getting it, and it just felt a bit painful. So I ended up buying more Bitcoin. So I don't own any, you're, but I, I understand the argument you're, you're, for it. You know, look, you're probably going to be right. And if if you know, I think some of it has to do with age. I mean, frankly, if you're young and you got a lot of time to recover, and the, probably the most important thing about being 100% Bitcoin is to be sure you're not going to be blown out on a, on a drawdown. I mean, I just I, I I see people pumping it. I see people talking about it. I see people who don't really understand it, maybe chasing it and buying it. And I think it's sad if they buy it, say today at sixty or whatever it is. And what if we do have a fifty percent drawdown? I think I mean, if they can if they can mentally process a fifty percent drawdown, or heaven forbid, an eighty percent drawdown, and they know they won't sell it, have at it. They've got a long time preference. They believe in the asset. They're going to be fine. What I think is sad, because I know people like this, is the people who bought it because everyone recommended it at Thanksgiving in 2017, and it went to 10, and it went to 35, and then, oh, shit, I blew that, and they blew it out. Yeah. Right? They sold out the bottom. They sold out at the bottom. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, to me, what's important is that, you know, you've got to be in it longer term if you're going to be in it, and you've got to understand the volatility of it when you buy it. You can't just listen to your friendly Bitcoin you know, guru that, oh, this is great, buy it, it only goes up. And then when it doesn't, you freak out, right? You have to get through that first four years. I think it's easy after four years. I think that's right. Yeah, when, you're, when your average cost basis is well below where it's at, you're kind of yeah. like, hey, this is great. Yeah. You know, and then and, and it's also a matter of how far down the curve you are in terms of understanding it. You know, you hear about the threats, you hear about the FUD. And, and so you go investigate them, you know, and you say, all right, well, does it, is it going to destroy the planet in terms of electricity? No. Rick Carter proved it. You know, it's half a percent of, you know, the electrical use in the world. I mean, that's a small price to pay for sound money. Very uh, small price to pay. Yeah, right. I mean, the guy at Fortune, Fortune came out today and did a report like it was $100 oh. per transaction. It's like... Yeah, and um, my friend Josh tweeted it out. He said, "Are we are we still doing this?" Yeah. Uh, and then my brother did some research and found out the guy is behind Fortune of investing in a blockchain company that wants to 
yeah. tap into the $150 billion payments market in Asia. So it's like, okay, there's your incentives. You want well, to attack Bitcoin because of your bullshit that's, project. That's exactly right. I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, there have been some sleazy actors in other crypto areas, and it has cast a pall upon some of the Bitcoiners, and, and rightfully so. Some of the Bitcoiners are very angry about that because Bitcoin is not, you know, it's not um, a sleazy coin like some of these others are. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be an, it's going to be an interesting uh, year, two years ahead. It's because oh, yeah. if we do see a crash, you know, Bitcoin has been a risk off asset. So will it crash with it, or are we going to we're going to make that leap? Are people suddenly realizing? I th- I think people are suddenly starting to realize with Bitcoin. Oh, I do too. I do too. I mean, I, you know, I, I think I think there's one remaining risk in my mind, and that is tether. I, I think the tether thing is is bad news. Um, you know, we, we've made an investment in a company called Avanti, um, run by Caitlin Long. Yeah, I know, and, the bank yeah, in Wyoming. Yeah, right, and she, you know, she wants to do a fully reserved, you know, stable coin, and that's the way it should be. And she's talking to the SEC, and she's talking to the Fed. I mean, she's very serious about this, and I think she'll do it. And I think, you know, I think Tether is, is slippery. And, and I think there's a good chance that at some point, you know, Gary Gensler of the SEC said he's pro-Bitcoin, but he's anti-crypto fraud, and I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it's. I think it'll help the whole area, and so I think there's a chance at some point they will move against Tether, and you know the rece- the reception of that move will probably be a dip in the Bitcoin price. I you mean, say that, but if people, if there's a run on Tether, where mm-hmm. does the money go? It goes into Bitcoin, perhaps. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, it's. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know the actual mechanics of how it all works, but I do think that. Um, you know, well, let me let me add another point to that on that line. You know, an important point here is with Bitcoin is this is a very volatile asset. You don't want to get leveraged. I mean, that's the yep. that's the other thing I, I see around this space that gives me, as a guy who's been investing for forty years, gives me a lot of concern. There's a lot of leverage. Yep. And 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 okay, you're young. You want to invest in it. You believe in it. Fine. But I would caution everybody to be careful with leverage. Because you don't want to lose your coins. Yeah, I mean, right. I don't, I don't trade. I don't use leverage. The right. only leverage I, I did is I, um, I took an opportunist loan when the price dropped to seventeen and a half percent and bought like another two and a half bitcoin, which is fair worked enough. out to be a fair trade. Fair. But but I've got cash flow. I've got a business that's yeah. you know, you know, fairly successful. Yeah. Um, I don't like people trading with leverage. I think it's scary. And if they do, it's like do, yeah, half. Yeah, point, well, point yeah, five I mean, or it, one. Yeah, the only the only the issue with leverage is just that you, you you don't want to be forced to lose the asset that you've levered that you know will have value in the future. And I mean, you know, I mean, I'll give you an example. In March of 2020, you know, I was somewhat levered on the gold stocks um, in this um, 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 you know levered ETF. And so, you know, March 2020, gold gold stocks plummeted. I mean, this levered ETF went down enormously, and it, it taught me a real lesson about the danger of leverage. I mean, and and as you know, there were times, there have been times where you could lever Bitcoin 101, which is basically just giving your money away. Yeah, right. <laughs> and even five to one is a bad number. Well, I mean, none of know. the pro traders I know do five or ten to one. The right, the best two traders I know say they never go above three to one. Right. And I, uh, you know, honestly, I wouldn't go above ten percent. You know, I mean, my view is okay. So you want to, you know, you want to take a little leverage against it and buy a little more fine, but but something that you can handle. You know, I think just buy spot. Yeah. Put it away in your cold storage. Exactly. Forget about it and just keep doing exactly. that. That's, you know, you can win that way and focus on your career. Don't. It's so hard to trade, especially as you see these liquidation events where, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people aped in when we got nearly sixty-seven thousand. Think right, we're going to go to seventy-five, eighty. Oh, right. Now we're debt back below, you know, fifty-eight. I mean, 
the people aping in keep getting liquidated. Yeah, possibly, possibly. I mean, it's, um, it is going to a much higher number, though. I do know that. I believe yeah. that very sincerely, that, that uh, it is the one monetary fire alarm that's really working. I mean, you know, this gold suppression has just been perverse. And, you know, everybody says uh, Bitcoin's going to demonetize gold, and it will over time. Mm -hmm. But gold's already been demonetized. I mean, I think that's an important point that, you know, if you look at the numbers, gold, gold and M2 are substitutes. In 1980, you know, the, the gold we theoretically have in Fort Knox covered the M2 at the time. Um, so we were kind of on a quasi-gold standard, even though it wasn't formal. Um, you look at that today, and, you know, the, the today's M2, I mean, it's like we've got 5% coverage. I mean, it's, it's terrible. I mean, and so, so if gold were to adjust to its proper price, it would be multiples of where we are today. I mean... Depending upon the coverage, it could be 10,000, 15,000, 20,000. And I, I think, you know, another case for being in gold is that at some point it might reset. I mean, we might wake up one morning and China says, hey, we're back in the, you know, we're back in the yuan with, with gold and we're setting it at this price and suddenly gold is money. And, you know, China, India and Russia are the three largest gold holders in the world. Um, well, we are too, theoretically, but that's something we don't know for sure. Well, that's why I think maybe perhaps China is a little bit uh, schizophrenic with their opinions on Bitcoin back and forth. I mentioned to you earlier yeah, that there's right. like this uh, public, I think it's comment on you know unbanning Bitcoin and my worry is they do that and they ban Bitcoin. But I do wonder if there's like this next phase is that like reality and understanding from governments that actually or central banks that we need to uh, adopt Bitcoin. That I mean, the El Salvador project has been proven to be a success so far. And not, not according to Steve Hankey. Well, you know, but that guy's an idiot. I mean, he's just delivering propaganda. I could just, it's I awful, just, isn't it? It's truly awful. It I mean, really he, is awful, yeah. It, it's, there's two things. I mean, he just lies blatantly. Well, yeah, he's, yeah. he's lying. So yeah. that's first of all, he's a liar. And to yeah. lie like that is, yeah. is means you're morally broken. But secondly, it also feels like he has uh, an agenda against a small Central American country that's trying to do something to make, create... their, make their people's lives better. Yeah. yeah, what a concept, right? And it, yeah, <laughs> crazy. You know, so they've they've provided banking services to yeah. the seventy percent who don't have banking services. Right. We, they now have free remittance through the Chivo ATMs. Yeah. They have investment and opportunity happening in the country. And what he wants to talk about is the bond rate or crackpot idea here. And, and the sad thing about Hank is this thing I agree with him on when he tweets about Turkey, I think he's fundamentally correct. You know, when yeah, he I mean, tweets about the economy, he's fundamentally correct. Right. We agree on the problem, but he is so anti-Bitcoin, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, that's that's right. I mean, yeah, it's, um, you know, I believe we will ultimately go to a Bitcoin standard. I, yeah. I really do. And I think that's strategically the right thing for the United States to do. Um, I think it is the form of sound money that will win. I mean, this is a digital age. And it has serious advantages versus gold. Um, having said that, though, let's let's you know, there's a there's a set of math that I think is important for people to understand that I'd like to kind of repeat. Mm. Um, and it, it just has to do with how much how well both of these assets will do. They're both sound money assets. And you know, if you consider the amount of fiat money out in the world, there's about 450 trillion of fiat money in the world today. That's cash, stocks, and bonds. Um, right now, the Bitcoin markets call it a trillion. Um, the gold stock market call it a trillion. The tradable gold is five trillion. There's ten trillion total gold, but a lot of it's in antiquities and you know around women's necks in, in India. So there's seven trillion of sound money stuff in the world today. There's 450 trillion of 
Garbage. Total, uh, yeah, right. A fiat garbage. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of the some of the stocks are valuable, yeah. but um, and and I think that what's going to happen is, and and we've had a forty year deflation, so everyone's investing in the rearview mirror. You know, recent survey showed lots of money managers believe that inflation is transitory. That that's going to be the next bubble that bursts, in my opinion. You know, a year from now, nobody will be saying inflation's transitory, and people are saying we've got a real inflation problem, and the Fed's behind the curve. I think that's going to happen next year. So when that bubble bursts. People are going to think, huh, if we've got a real inflation problem, well, the first thing I do is I'm going to sell my bonds. Well, the bond market's $100, $100 trillion plus, right, if you, worldwide. So what, what happens if a piece of that $100 trillion says, okay, i got to go get some of the seven, right? I mean, it doesn't take much, right? And so if, for example, you were to go back to the ratio that you used in the 70s, 7%, gold was about 7% of total financial assets in the, at 1979-80 when it was kind of at its peak. So 7% of total financial so if you went to that today, 7% of, of uh, 450 is about $32 trillion. So the $7 trillion today of sound money assets is going to go to be $32 trillion if we just go to the 1980. It's almost 5x. Now, probably more of it will go to Bitcoin, but some of it's going to go to gold. I mean, they're, you know, I've got mm-hmm. clients and you know, boomer friends that just, they'll never buy Bitcoin. It doesn't matter before. You know, they'll, they're going to stick with their gold, and that's fine. Yep. You know, but they're both going to go up. Right, they're both going to be sound money assets that perform substantially. And by the way, I think we're going to go much further than we went in 1980. I mean, I think this might be the end game event, which is when literally the currency fails. That's the hyperinflation. But to me, that's that's further out and uncertain. I, I can you know, and it's so hard to tell. But I, game theorying at all, I think inflation is going to get really, really bad. I think that we're going to have a real political upheaval and, we're, and people are going to know it. And we're going to finally, somebody's going to arise in the political system that's going to go, this is the problem, it's with the money and we've got to fix it. You know, my candidate for that is Francis Suarez, who's the mayor of Miami, right? He's, he's a Bitcoiner and I think that guy's wonderful, right? Yeah, so I'm, uh, hopefully I'm going to be interviewing him oh, is in, that right? in, in about a month. And oh. My only issue is he's done this Miami coin junk, but I... Oh, really? I haven't, I haven't seen that. <laughs> but, uh, but, but he needs like orange pill in a bit harder. But he's he's clearly someone thinks he's a potential presidential candidate. Right, okay? right, Yeah, right. And he's like, we just need him to be a little bit more Bitcoin, a little less there of this you go. He'll shit get there. He'll, he'll, he'll get there. Yeah. So I hope. So, you know, so I think inflation is going to get really bad. And, you know, we're going to reset. You know, we're going to say, okay, look, we got a real problem here and we just can't seem to stop it. You know, we, we got to tie the money to something. Here's how we're going to do it. Well, right? the, the reason I like a Bitcoin standard, Larry, is because I'm operating with one myself already. Right. You know, the the gold standard was really something was centralized by the government. They could yeah. they they could take the country out of it as they had, did yeah. in the UK. And no, they did that's, here. The, that's the weakness of it. Yeah. But, but 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 a Bitcoin standard is something which has a network effect. I'm on a Bitcoin standard. Yep. And perhaps you are. I, perhaps, I kind of I kind of am. I mean, yeah. I think in those terms. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy, our camera guy's on one, and Danny, my producer, and yeah. some of my friends are some aren't. But yeah. like, I'm on that standard, and what's happening is I am seeing my life improve because oh. it's improving my net wealth position, but it's improving some of my thoughts around my own personal health and well-being yes. and my children. It's given me that shift where I'm slowing down, where everyone's speeding up. Right. And you know, here's the great thing about it. You don't feel like you're on the treadmill, right? right. I'm off. Right. You're off. It's like, you know, and, and that's one of the things I tried to communicate to some of these people at this New Orleans Gold Show was, and because as you can imagine, these people have been fighting this battle for a long time. Yeah. And they're tired and they're bitter and they hate the Fed. And I, I do too. I mean, it's all... 
Um, but, the, you know, there's, there's a certain kind of grim resignation. To, oh, here we go. We're going to get screwed again. <laughs> you know? and, and I went to the Bitcoin show, Miami, you know, 2021 Bitcoin show. Everybody is pumped. Yeah. I mean, it's like, this is great. We are going to crush this system. This is, you know, this is sound money. It's fair. Everyone can participate. It's a real democracy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's the, you know, the, the mental mindset of the two groups. Is, it couldn't be more different. Well, we figured it out. Yeah, right. You did. Figured you, out you, the you, hack in the system. Yeah, you really did. And, and, and so in that respect, it really is superior. All I'm saying is don't forget us. No, I, look, listen, you're, you're, <laughs> Drag us along. We've been, we've been carrying this water for a long time. <laughs> you're with us. You're with us. The other thing I like about the Bitcoin community is they're mm. creating enormous wealth for themselves, but they're very generous. Oh, absolutely. Support, I know a lot of people support a lot of projects, support other people. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, th- I think we're going to go into difficult times. Yes. And I think I believe in humans. Yeah. I believe in the generosity of humans to help people out absolutely. when times are hard. So I do worry. I was talking about this to a guy I did an interview with a couple of weeks ago. It's sometimes, you know, you might see figures or inflation, or you might see Janet Yellen, or you might tweet it out and put clown and make memes and laugh about it. But there is this thing that's like constantly on my shoulder. I'm constantly thinking some people are going to go through a really rough time, and oh, we yeah. may see a massive increase in poverty and oh yeah, destruction of parts of the economy, and people are going to really struggle. And, oh and, yeah, and that really kind of like. Well, my that's, do you remember the Do you remember the scene in the Big Short where the Ben Rickard character basically, you know, the, the two guys are kind of high fiving each other, like, "Hey, it's working. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna be rich. We're gonna make millions and millions yeah. of dollars." And the Rickard character's like, "Hang on, shut up. You know, get 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 that under control. You know, people are gonna lose their jobs. People are gonna lose their houses." You know? Brad Pitt. Yeah, Brad Pitt yeah. was playing that. You know, this is this is not something to celebrate about. And you know that I think that's a very important part of it. I mean. Jeff Booth does a wonderful job of this. I mean, I think it's very important for Bitcoiners to try to remain humble, yep. as humble as possible. And, and the two memes I don't like about Bitcoin, and one is the, you know, not going to make it, you know, um, meme, and the other is the have fun staying poor. I, I don't think they're constructive. I think, I think we want to save and help people, not mock them or belittle them in any way, shape, or form. I think, I think it should be a very inclusive community. Yeah, it's fun. I understand what you mean about that. I, I think those memes are used mainly and directed at the wealthy people or the academic class or political I, class doesn't get it. I, I understand that. I understand that. I, I don't mean, look, think they're A lot of people pointed out to me that, you know, look, that's in reaction to Peter Schiff telling me I'm an idiot. Yeah. You know, he's going to call me an idiot. I'm going to say have fun staying poor. I get it. But for those, I mean, consider that a lot of people, you know, they don't have a, they don't have a dog in the fight. They're just, you know, clueless, running along, trying to run their lives. You know, and, and, and I know if they, I know Bitcoiners are very generous. If you ask for help, they'll give you help. Mm-hmm. But, but even people who maybe don't entirely get it, I mean, I've orange-pilled a lot of people who started off pretty negative on it, and I could have just said, have fun staying poor, and, I, and I've tried to counter it and say, yeah. I've tried to counter it and say, no, 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 think, think this through. I mean, I understand your concern. I mean, one of the big things that gold bugs really have a hard time getting around is the notion it's not physical. It's not tangible. Right? How can I touch it? You know, how can I, I said, guys, money never, you know, how can you, you can't touch the money in your bank account either. Hey, listen, just you say. Know? Do you, do you still using a Kodak film? Right. Are you still visiting Blockbuster? Right. Or are you using Netflix? And are you, are you on Spotify? You've got CDs. I mean, it's like it's, right. money is just the last thing it's, that's it's, being digitized. Well, it's, as I say, it's a ledger. I mean, before gold even existed, I love this example. Somebody explained it to me this way. We had ledgers in caves. You know, I killed two bison, you killed three bison, I owe you a bison. You know, it's, money's just keeping score. Who owes who what? 
And it doesn't have to be a physical item. Now, it turned out that gold became a very useful physical item when people were running around the world trading. You know, so then, you know, Genoa and, and Italy and, and so forth, when they were trading with the East, they could use gold. But Well, my friend uh, John Pfeffer, do you know John? I do. I yeah. know who he is. I don't know him personally, but yeah. So I was having lunch with him in London a few months back, and he was telling me how Wences orange pilled him. And he said, yeah. he said a very simple thing. He said, money is just a ledger. Yeah. Bitcoin is the best ledger that's ever existed. Exactly. That's that, it. That, that, that's beautifully succinct. Yeah, and Wences is great. Yeah. I love that guy. I love that guy. Yeah, he's really he's really impressive. And yeah, that's that's kind of how I got orange pill too. Somebody explained that to me, and I thought, wow, that's true. So, do you think something like the Fed eventually collapses and doesn't exist? And how do you think yeah. society operates without? Yeah, we, we don't yeah, need it. We, we don't really, need it. We really don't need it. I mean, I think it, you know, how does it exactly collapse? I don't know. The, you know, I mean, one of the things I would caution all listeners to all of my podcasts is to understand is. I don't know for sure that I'm right about this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> well, we all speculated. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm just, and, and everything's just a probability bet. You know, I mean, the hyperinflation, could it happen? Yeah, I think it could. Is it going to happen? I have no idea if it's certain. Um, I, I, I think the Fed will be gone. I mean, I think, I think the, you know, the federal government will be severely cut back when it's starved of its source of money, you know, and, and will, you know, we may return very much more to kind of the original constitutional republic that we had when we first launched this country. Um, I think that might happen with a lot of governments. I mean, uh, um, or I, I could see a situation where Bitcoiners end up being big participants in the government. I made this observation before that it seems like the people in government often are the people who have a lot of money, they have the time to fiddle around and they want to do something and, and so they get into government. Well. I could see, you know, I've, I've said this, and I truly do believe this. I think in this turning, we're, I think the Bitcoiners and the gold people are going to end up with all the marbles. I really do. I, I think we're going to win. And, 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 and we're going to be kind of insanely rich. And I think when that happens, you know, and, and, and that creates a real problem. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's Kipling's, you know, meet with, you know, triumph and disaster and treat the two just the same, right? I mean, this is triumph. And the humility and the helping our fellow man and the doing the right thing is going to be extremely important. But I'll tell you, just today, based on what I know, I would much rather have a government full of Bitcoiners than the government we got. Well, right? look, look, look at the people within government that I, you can trust the most. I mean, Cynthia Lummis, I don't agree with her on everything, but I agree with her on money. And yeah. we've just had uh, Rand Paul come out and say right. we, we expect to move to a Bitcoin standard. I mean, I'm not in the slightest bit a, a fan of Ted Cruz, uh, no. but... but He's talking sense on money now. When people understand Bitcoin, they start to talk about something that makes sense. Yeah. And now if you end up with Bitcoiners in government, game theory says they want to keep supporting Bitcoin and they won't want to yes. you know, support oh, yeah. the, the old system. And if they're the ones who get in significantly rich, they're going to have the power to do that. So the game theory just works out. Yeah, it really does. I mean, the, the whole notion that government's going to ban Bitcoin, that was one of my, I, I had a part of my getting to a big allocation. I was, I was fearful of yeah. that. And uh, and I have I have a lot of gold friends who are that's their major objection. I get it; it's a secure ledger. I love all of that, but you know what? You guys think this is going to work, and the government's just going to squash you like a bug. I think we're beyond that point now. I do too. I think Gensler signaling yeah, the, the horse the horse has bolted the barn, and those guys generally don't understand how tough it is to squash this thing like a bug. I mean, twelve words, and you can't touch my wealth. I no. think there's a on the geopolitical level as well now that there is a clearly. An element of a cold war between China and and yeah. the U.S. being established. Um, I don't think I worry about what's going to happen with Taiwan, but I don't think the U.S. is going to mit- militarily step in front I sure of. Hope not. 
because it's there's there's no winner and that's no, well, we're all losers. I, sure hope not. I think but I think the currency wars are the really interesting wars of the next decade. Right. And I think I think it's very clear that Bitcoin benefits the US. I mean, firstly, Absolutely. if the US is pro Bitcoin, most of the rest of the world will be will follow and be pro Bitcoin. Yes. So that's that point. The US has most of the large companies with Bitcoin and I would estimate most of the uh, a good percent of the Bitcoin is held within people in the U.S. So, so maybe the government owns some Bitcoin or not. But if Bitcoin continues to grow, it strengthens the U.S. Totally, totally. And I, I think I mean somebody said it on Twitter that China just made one of the largest strategic errors in their history. I mean, yep. they made a similar error in the eighteen hundreds when they went with silver versus gold, and gold demonetized silver. Yep. And uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, Jason Lowry's done great work on this. I mean, it, you know, we need to we need to adopt a Bitcoin standard vis-a-vis China because if we go to a gold standard, you know, China, India, and Russia, three very corrupt com- countries, although we're somewhat corrupt too, um, you know, they win, right? Because they've got a lot more gold than we probably have. And, you know, we've got a lot more technology than they've got. And so um, I, I think it's natural. I think it's what will happen. I, I think the Pentagon's going to get it too. I think, you know, what, what's happened here in the last 20, 30, 40 years is, you know, we, we made some big strategic errors as a country. You know, we letting China know the WTO without true reciprocity, huge error. Mm-hmm. You know, abandoning Glass-Steagall, huge error. You know, letting Wall Street become as dominant as it has done and, and letting, you know, the Fed, which is really controlled by Wall Street, do what they've done, huge error, right? Well, Going off the gold standard, huge error, right? And, and so those of us who remember what it was like before all those errors, we're kind of like, hey, I want my old country back. You know? <laughs> well, also the, the destruction of 20-year of war in the Middle East. Well, that's right. Well, yeah, that's not to mention, yeah, all the, all the money we've spent overseas and, you know, all the, all the guys who've come back, guys and girls who've come back, you know, shot up or, or, or dead. I mean, it's, it's tragic. I mean, the Vietnam War was tragic. All this stuff is tragic. And these things are all, you know, part of the life of the nation state. I mean, as... as you know, my personal guy I work out with, my weightlifting coach says, you know, the, um, you know, war is the sex organ of the nation state, right? And he's right. I mean, these guys, you know, it, it gives them power and they want it. And, you know, I mean, the average, you know, Vietnamese guy, he doesn't want to kill Americans. The average American, I don't want to kill Vietnamese guys, but, you know, you put us on their soil and they get mad. I mean, it, it happens, right? And who did that? The state did it. Well, it's right. like what Muhammad Ali said. He said, I've yeah. got no problem with these people. I love that man. I, they, I, they put him in fucking jail. I know. I love that man. I mean, I think, I think that was one of the bravest things any American you know, leader has done in a long time. I, I, I thought that was just an amazing story when he did that. So, yeah, yeah it, it's um, – so, so, yes, I mean, the, the, the beautiful thing is this thing is happening, and it's, it's really positive. I mean, it's why people are optimistic, and it's why I'm optimistic yeah. that it is happening. Yeah. I mean, my question really is – yeah, how do I how do I continue to talk to my friends and family? But I just think <laughs> I think it's it's becoming inevitable now, and there's so much news coverage of this. There's like a mix of news coverage. You get announcements, right. news releases of right. things happening, like, you know, the futures product or a, a company you know, yeah. achieving a certain value. Like there's all these positive stories of events within Bitcoin, yeah. and then there's analysis and op eds, which are always fun and usually yeah. oh, incorrect. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and I feel like that's the battle some people are having. They're, they're, they're just seeing this nonsense. They still think this is magic, funny money. Yeah. But uh, I think what's going to happen is this is going to there's going to be a shift as things get 
worse as we yeah. see higher inflation, yeah. much higher inflation, and people yes. realize this is really affecting them, they're going to question. Right. We're going to be ready to say, remember that Bitcoin thing I told you about? Well, that's right. I've, I've already seen that. I've seen, I've had a half a dozen of my clients and investors in my fund who were very, very negative on it. They now completely get it. And I could see, you can almost mark, you know, you can mark the steps, you know, as, as they go through it. And it's, it's got positive things going on for two reasons. One, additional monetary debasement makes its price go up. But two, we're kind of, I mean, and this is on our website and so forth, you can see it, that we're kind of at this inflection point, you know, and, and you know, Gladwell's tipping point, 10%, and, yep. and things get going. And you look at full adoption of broadband or full adoption of autos or mobile phones or whatever it might be, tends to take about 10 years. So, you know, if we're at the 10% tipping point now, I mean, what's that, you know, 20, 21? I mean, I, you know, I would think that that 10% is going to be a big number in 10 years. Well, there's big moves. I mean, this week alone, we have MasterCard announcing that right. they're going to Saw support yeah. cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. Yeah. We have the FDIC chairman saying he's going to make it easier for banks. I mean, these are two huge stories. Yes. Huge stories. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, you've got you've got big organizations embracing it. I mean, you know, Rick Ryder, BlackRock. I mean, there's no more connected money management firm than BlackRock. They're probably the largest in the world, right? And the guy who runs the place is, is saying he's in favor of Bitcoin. Larry Fink. Yeah. You know, well, I don't know about Larry Fink, but I know oh. Rick, Rick Ryder, the next guy down. He doesn't run the place. He's, he's like number two lieutenant. Okay. But, um, you know, Fidelity's there. Goldman's there. You know, a lot of other people are there. Um, you know, it's... It's kind of it's kind of obvious. It's kind of obvious, and it's kind of inevitable, in my opinion. And you know, but it'll take time. I mean, it, it it's like any new idea; it takes time to be adopted. And so, you know, but people, everyone, everyone who gets involved, then they become another spreader of the orange pill to their their group of friends. And and you know, we just kind of keep it kind of keeps rolling. So it's very it's exciting. It's fun to be involved with it. I mean, it, as I say again, it, you know, I was in the internet in '95, and it. This feels exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It feels. I'm like, and I had people who were very skeptical, saying, "Oh, that thing. I don't believe in the internet. Yeah. Why do you invest in that? That's not going to work." And I was like, "I don't know, guys. I, I think this. You know, I know you got to put your phone in a modem and wait for the dollar. You know, but but I think this thing's going to work. And and it's not always going to be that clunky and slow. This isn't going to be CompuServe forever. This isn't going to be AOL forever. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, they're going to make it better, right? And that's what's going on here. I mean, every problem that's out there is getting worked on and getting solved. Key management, security, etc. So it's a, it's a peaceful, peaceful revolution. It's, it's funny. I spent some time down in Texas, and I'm yeah. not, I'm not a gun nut. I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I've shot a gun once in the UK, which is a shotgun. Right. You know, sure. A pigeon shooting, sure. and but every time I go out to Texas, my friends are like, "Come on, let's go and shoot guns," and I do, and I enjoy yeah, it. And sure. you know, then we have the debate, and they say, "You need the guns." I was like, "Why do we need the guns?" Because you know, tyrannical government, you know, we had them in 1776, we got rid of you after the, you know, <laughs> tried to give us a tax on our tea and, and uh, you know, we need them if, uh, if our government becomes tyrannical. And I, my view is like, I think it already is tyrannical. It is. I mean, you have, uh, you know, New York is a different place than it used to be, California is. So I was like, well, when do you pull your guns out? But I actually think you don't need your guns because no. you're Bitcoin. Bitcoin is now your defense against a tyrannical government. Oh, that's right. And that's what we should be communicating to people, let them understand. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I mean, look, the money is the health of the state, right? I mean, the money's broken. It's broken from our point of view because they're screwing us. It's working perfectly from their point of view mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're getting seniorage on everything. you know. And so in my speech in New Orleans, as I said, you know, you want to you want to argue and fight. You you know, you want to push back. You want to have a revolution. You know, without guns, you know, buy Bitcoin, buy gold, buy silver. Because you know, when we take away their ability to print money, when when 
When we say, hey, government, this, I mean, it's the ultimate vote of no confidence. I mean, everyone thinks the voting system's broken. You know, are the elections rigged? Who knows? I don't want to go there. But the point is, this, this is the vote, right? This is the vote that counts. Where are you going to put your savings? If everybody in this country starts putting their IRAs, you know, and goes into savings, I mean, one thing that's actually is terrible that's been having a bunch of terrible things coming out of the government recently, this whole notion of $600 reporting. I mean, that's, what? right? I mean, yeah. what's that all about? That's... I mean, as a, you can tell, they're getting desperate, right? They're trying to figure out more stuff. And they've also talked about trying to restrict these self-directed IRAs, right? And a lot of people are using those to opt out of the, you know, the fidelities of the world because they want to put their money in gold or Bitcoin or something else, and fidelity won't let them. And so, you know, this is, um, this is the way we fight back. There was right? a great tweet recently that somebody put out. I think I mentioned it before on the show where they said, the government can lose trillions of dollars, but they want to know why I spend over 600 yeah, right? Fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> Come no, on. exactly. Exactly. And but you know, once again, this is this all falls into the bucket of the emperor protesting. You know, and the more the more we put heat on them, the more they will protest and the more absurd their behavior will become, and then more and more people will go, this is ridiculous and I'm bailing out of here. I mean, I think a common you know, this reminds me of a situation when I was a kid. Um, you know, my family was moderately anti-war in the Vietnam War. We didn't really fully understand it. I mean, I was a young kid, and I was looking at having a number and having to go. Um, but I'll remember, I'll never forget when, when Kent State went down, um, my father looked at me, and he just said, that's it. War's over. What's Kent State? Kent State, the murder in Kent State. So so in Kent State in 1970, the National Guard was out on the on the quad, and a bunch of students were out there, anti-war protesters, were out there protesting. That's what uh, Neil Young wrote the song Ohio about. And um, uh, four kids, four students were killed. The National Guard took the took the rifles down and shot and killed four students. It's really sad. And, yeah. uh, um, but when that happened, um, the um, um, my father said to me, "So that's it. War's over." He said, "There's no way this government is going to allow, you know, um, this war to go on. I mean, if we've got you know National Guardsmen killing students on colleges, there's your tipping point." Right there's your typical, and and that's going to happen, you know, somewhere monetarily, and people are just going to go, shit, it's that, over. Is that the pro? Is that protest one? There was a film I saw recently. Yeah, there've been some documentaries on it. They're very yeah. good. Yeah, a little bit emotional there. Yeah, well, yeah, I did. It's, well, it's just a sad episode. I mean, yeah. I, I think of, I think of all the things the government has done and the pain and suffering it's caused and the lives lost. I mean. I went to Vietnam, you know, two, three weeks or two, three years ago. And I was there two or three years ago. No, it was even more than that, probably. Probably <laughs> probably five or six years ago. But I went to Vietnam, yeah. is my point. And, you know, a lot of people there weren't particularly friendly, and I get it. And, you know, and I mean, you know, three million Vietnamese died. And yet Henry Kissinger walks around New York and he's free. You know, and um, you know, to fight communism, really? I mean, was that was that a good thing? I mean, I, I just, you know, I think people have to think a little bit about what these nation states are capable of doing, you know, in our name. And uh, uh, so, you know, yeah, I feel pretty strongly about the fact that it's incumbent upon those of us who are moral and, and care and are in a position to do so that we push back hard on this stuff. I feel the same about yeah. Iraq. I mean, Vietnam's right. for, for all my time. I right. only know it from Platoon right. and right. 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 what my right. father told me. And, and I yeah. barely remember the first Iraq war, but the second Iraq war, we had the, some of the largest protests ever in the UK. My brother protested. Uh, we had uh, people resign from government. And we know now that 
Blair and Bush lied and took us into a war. Absolutely. One and a half million dead, the region destabilized. And what are they doing? Blair's getting speaking fees and does he work at the UN? Ah, oh, fuck no. I mean, fuck that guy. It just, right. we got taken, we, we know we knew what happened. Right. We saw but, it happen in front of us. But, but Halliburton did extremely well. Of course he did. And we, you know, and, and, and you know what? We were able to finance it and guess what? As Vice President Cheney said, deficits don't matter. I mean, and that's, you know, that's the Stephanie Kelton line, right? These, these deficits don't matter. And all of these people are driving in the rearview mirror. And they're gonna be, I mean, history is gonna be so unkind to so many of the people that have done what they've done in the last 20 or 30 years. It's gonna be incredibly unkind, and rightly so. Rightly so. And rightly so, in my opinion. I mean, the person you were talking about, other leaders here, the Fed, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, our grandkids are gonna say, what were those people thinking that they let, you know, an unelected bunch of people grab control of the money supply, you know, and, and create the largest bubble of the world, which when it burst, created enormous economic pain. That goes back to your earlier point, you know, that, that a lot of people are gonna get hurt in this. I mean, they really are, and it's very, very sad. But, you know, I'm not a central banker. I didn't set the system up. <laughs> you know, I'm just one man, you know, looking at it from my point of view and just trying to protect my family and my investors and other Americans by doing what I think makes the most sense in light of the circumstances, right? And so, um, and you know, some of these people, I'm not even sure, I mean, I, look, we all have good and evil in us, right? So I, I'm not even mm -hmm. sure, I mean, some of them are obviously very evil, I mean, the, the Epsteins of the world, but the point is, a lot of these other people, I mean, they're probably just misguided. You know, they just don't know any better. I mean, Krugman kind of strikes me as just kind of a goofy idiot, you know? I mean, he got the Nobel Prize, but I'm not sure he's evil, I just don't think he's very smart. I just know? consider it a, a bad organism. Yeah. With misaligned incentives. Well, and I right. think that's why we need the checks and balances and that's why we need well, sound money. Yeah, and, and, and really, you know, the math doesn't lie, right? I mean, yep. that's the beauty of the whole thing. You know, I mean, human beings, are, we're all flawed. We're all capable of cheating. We're all capable of doing things that aren't right. But, you know, um, if you've got something based on technology and math that, that is immutable, you know, it's, pretty, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty important thing. And that's, I've said it in my papers, I've said it in my speech. I, I do think it's probably the most important invention in world history. I mean, you know, I mean, the printing press and fire and a lot of other things that we invented before were at the time the most important invention. But I think, I think this one's going to really rock the world. And, and, and I'm extremely, extremely optimistic on the longer term. But I do worry a lot about what the next five or ten years are going to look like. I mean... I'm sure you've read the fourth turning. You know, um, it, I have. I did right. a, an interview with Brandon Quitham about it. Oh, there you go. So it, it, you know, things and things are coming to a head. I mean, it's it's very things are happening more quickly now, and so um, you know, I mean, and what so what's going to happen when Bitcoin's at 250, which it will be at some point. I mean, you know, the, it's going to. I mean, the, the monetary fire alarm is going off now. It's going to be going nuts when Bitcoin's at 250. Yeah. yeah, my only worry about that is the people who see that and are bitter. And become anti-Bitcoin because they're bitter about it, rather right. than seeing that's something they should be part of and yeah. you know, well, understand the, the benefits of it. I, I get it, and um, you know everyone buys at the price that they deserve, right? I mean, it's um, you know it's it's a system that makes sense. It's a sound money system that makes sense, and you know I, I know in my case I have a lot of people say, "Well, gosh, I, I missed it. I should have bought it at ten. It's at fifty or sixty. I can't buy it now." Well, you know the answer to that. What? I'm not selling. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's our answer to it. But yeah. but I think the you know, I think it's hard for people to reframe it, mm. you know, and, and understand that 
if it's the best saving system in the world, you know, forget the price. Why wouldn't you just want to save in that term, in those terms? I mean, what's going to what's going to make it go the other way? I can't really see anything. Buy a little bit. Exactly. Just buy a little bit. That's, just get that, started. That's exactly right. Once you get them to buy a little bit, once you show them a transaction and say that just happened without any intermediary. Right. The economic policy, the, right. the monetary policy is fixed. Right. Go and listen to this podcast. You can get to buy a bit and listen to one podcast. Yeah. They're off. You've yeah. just got to slay that kickstart. Yeah, no, that's right. And, uh, and more and more people will do it. And you know, people say, well, it's hard to do it. Um, you know, and how's this thing going to support 6 billion people? Well, that's where Lightning and all these other you know, layers that are built on top of it are going to make it much more efficient and easy to do transactions and so on and so forth. I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, one of the other great concerns some people have had is, well, what happens when we run out of new coins? I mean, it's obviously quite some time off, but and the fees will cover it. You know, I mean, SAFE has done a good job of talking about how the math will change to allow the fees to pay for it, you know, the electricity cost. Everything seems to work out just fine for Bitcoin. <laughs> well, it, it does. I mean, it's... It's so you know, beautifully designed. It, yeah, it really is. As you dig into it and you think about, I mean, who invented this difficulty adjustment? Who thought of the halving process? I mean, man, oh man, the people who, you know, the, the group that designed this, I mean, I think Hal Finney is, is clearly... Either Satoshi or was very close to Satoshi in the whole process. I mean, these guys were really smart. I mean, they really because there've been a lot of guys trying to figure out a way to turn to, to create digital gold pre-Bitcoin, but there was always a missing piece. There was always some kind of missing piece. And you know, when they got the proof of work and they got the algorithm and they got the adjustment and they got the having, you know, suddenly it all kind of came together and it coalesced. And here we are. You know, and, and, and it's really kind of early days. And you know, in my view, I mean, in ten years. Everyone will think this was this was obvious. Yeah. yeah, it was obvious. So, listen, it's been great to talk to you. Likewise, is there anything I, we didn't I, cover? I, not that I can think of. I think we hit most of the highlights. Um, happy to fill in other stuff if you can think of well, it now, after I, the fact. Or, I, well, what we'll do is these uh, people are seeing this. These um, documents, we'll share them in the show notes. Let people read them. Um, yeah. I, it was a fascinating read for me. And um, yeah, so. we can we can always do this again. I'm going to be back. I'm, I'm sure we could talk about a lot more in the future. I think. Do you know? I think you'd be great to sit down with. Is Greg Foss? I think you. And oh, him I together. love Greg. He's he's a good friend. Yeah. yeah. So he and I were in New Hampshire at this Sound Money thing or at this thing, and yeah, no, Greg is fabulous. I mean, he's kind of my generation, and in fact, I quoted him in the speech. I said, uh, you know, Bitcoin's. A, I, I he said this line, and it just it hit me like a thunderbolt. Where he said. Yeah, Bitcoin is a CDS on sovereign currency. <laughs> it's a credit default swap. It is. That's it exactly is, yeah. what it is. It's a credit. I mean, it's it's the most asymmetric trade in the history of the world. I mean, I you know, these things are going to be worth tens of millions of dollars per coin. I mean, having one coin, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, it's going to be a really, really big deal. Those guys with a few thousand, they're gonna they're gonna have some fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I so. I got some great stories on that. Luke Roman has a friend who was a, was a miner who was in Akron. He's a famous name. I can't remember it now, but he had 10,000 coins, right? So he's, he's a billionaire, basically. Yeah. And then um, you'll like this. So I was involved with the Ron Paul project in the early days. Are we still? Yeah, we're still rolling. Oh, okay. There's a, there's a person up in the Ron Paul group who, um, you know, she didn't make a lot of money. She was a secretary. And, but somebody told her about Bitcoin and sound money and so on and so forth. And so... When it was, you know, two dollars, five dollars a coin, something. She picked up a couple hundred coins. Nice, right? Good for her. I think she still has them. Right, even better. <laughs> How great is that? Yeah, I, you know what? Oh, God, <laughs> I think back and think what I should have done and oh, what I, I didn't know. do. Don't we? Like, we all feel like now. we don't own enough, right? And I and I think you know, I, I bought a lot at thirty thirty eight hundred when it did that dip to thirty five, and I was like, well, why didn't I buy more? I had it. I could have. 
you know. It's funny. We all think that, but then we don't want to spend it. So it's uh, it's, yeah. it's a really it's a really interesting kind of position to be in. But I, you know, we did discover it, and you know, we have this opportunity. You with your right, and me with this to try and spread this message. And I want a lot more people to get in. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, sound money, sound money will improve the world. Yep. And Bitcoin is a form of sound money. Gold is too. Yeah, gold is too. <laughs> gold is too. But listen, Larry, if people want to read. Your work, yeah, or follow you. So, How do they follow you? Yeah, so there, there are really two ways. Um, we put a lot of this up on the web. Uh, we do a quarterly letter. This is all free. Um, talks about how we see conditions and how we're managing our fund. And um, you know, we manage a fund which people can join if they're uh, qualified. Um, all this information is on my website. It's EMA2 Edward Mark Alpha the number two dot com for Equity Management Associates. And then. I'm kind of a loudmouth on Twitter, which is probably how I got here. Uh, so, so if you go to Twitter and you put in my full name, my formal name, Lawrence Lepard, just as one word, um, you'll see me on Twitter, and I'm, I try and contribute on a regular basis. All, all sound money. That's what I care about. Awesome. Well, look, I really yeah. appreciate this. It's oh, great thank to you. Meet I've you. enjoyed it very much. It's been fun. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll do it again uh, yeah. sometime Anytime. maybe next year. Anytime. Happy to do it, Peter. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch with me, the best thing to do is head over to our Telegram channel. Otherwise, you can hit me up on hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And if you want to support the show, please just head over to Apple Podcasts. Go and leave me a review. Hopefully, you think the show deserves five stars. All right, I'll see you all soon. 